Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Amen. As you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word, go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You know, as a pastor, I have the privilege and the high responsibility of being called to the hospital bedside of people in their most severe medical conditions. Whether it's due to a serious illness or, or some sort of organ failure, maybe like a heart attack or maybe the result of a traumatic accident, I have stood, I have sat, I have knelt by many hospital beds over the last 17 years of ministries. Of ministry. Now, on several occasions, I was there and the person had no idea that I was even there because they were unconscious with their life in the balance being sustained, their life being sustained by life support machines. I just want to confess to you, I mean, still to this day, for me, there is just something jarring about walking into the room, especially someone that you know, especially someone that you love, and seeing them on life support. If you're not a medical professional, I know we have nurses and doctors here in the room. If you're not a medical professional, you, you probably know what I mean. right? You've not become desensitized to it. It's not, it's not common for you. It, it jars you. It, it, it's really unsettling. It's shocking to see a person in that sort of situation. They have hoses in their nose and hoses and tubes in their mouth and tubes running into their arms through IV, uh, through needles and, and, and tubes running out of their midsection. They have wires hooked to a finger and attached to their chest. Machines are blinking and chirping and doing their job feeding them and breathing for them and pumping fluids and medication into their veins, checking their vital signs, all that they're supposed to do. And everything in that picture, when you walk into a room like that, Everything in the picture screams at you, reminding you that their life in that moment depends completely upon those machines, completely upon these outside powers. And if you were to unplug them, if you were, quote unquote, to pull the plug, they would surely die. Now, as we turn to the scripture here in Colossians 1, we find the truth of the matter is, is that that is not actually an uncommon thing, all right? We find that being on life support is not really an uncommon thing. In fact, in one sense, every single one of us is in one form or another on life support, whether we realize it or not. So right now, as you look around, there are no tubes, there are no wires connected to anybody here in the church at this moment, but every single one of us. We are on life support. We are being sustained. Our life is being carried on by an outside power, right? Our lungs are breathing because of this power. Our heart is beating because of this power. Our brain is firing because of this power. And this power, according to our passage today, comes directly from Jesus himself. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Colossians chapter 1, beginning right there in the 15th verse. We're going to read down through the 23rd verse today. 
The Word of God says this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast." not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray together. Father, what a passage of Scripture. God, I pray that we would be a people that love your word because it speaks truth about you. Father, not that we fall in love with the Bible as a book, but uh, uh, the God to whom it points us to. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray that today our hearts would become inflamed, God. Our hearts would burn with love and joy for him, the giver of life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Grab your seat again. But maybe you've had this happen to you before where you have one of those moments where you think something is good. right? You know what I'm talking about? You think it's good. But then one day you find out it's way better than you ever thought. And that's how Jesus is in this passage right here. Right, This passage, every bit of it is about Jesus. And it's likely you've come in these doors this morning and you already think Jesus is good. All right, Most likely you even think that Jesus is awesome. But when you look at this passage here, <laughs> Jesus is not just awesome. Right, He's beyond awesome. He is mind-blowing. He's preeminent. Meaning that there is no one or no thing of higher rank, of higher dignity, or of higher importance. Guys, Jesus is outstanding. Jesus is supreme according to this passage. And by his power, we are alive in Christ. That's the title of the four-part series as we walk through the book of Colossians here over the next few weeks. Alive in Christ. This letter to the church, to the Christians in the city of Colossae. It was meant for them and it was meant for us to help us understand how our life is connected to Jesus. He is the giver of life, as I've titled today's message. Here's today's takeaway. Here's what I want you to walk out the doors with this morning. I want you to plug into and praise Jesus because he is your complete life support. Let me say it again. Plug into and praise Jesus because he is your complete life support. Let me give you four ways from our text this morning that Jesus is your complete life support. First from the text, we see that Jesus created life. Jesus created life. Uh, Verse 15 and 16 in our text says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, as I read that text, some of you might be thinking, now, wait a minute, preacher. I understand and believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but are you telling me that Jesus is also the creator of the world? And my answer to you is yes, absolutely. I'm not telling you. The Bible's telling you that. You see, I told you just a moment ago, I told you that Jesus is way more amazing than you ever thought. You see, you and I, we're comfortable. It's become comfortable for us. It's become a commonplace for us to understand Jesus in the dimension of Savior. That's a beautiful dimension. That's a glorious dimension. I praise God for that dimension. But we see here another dimension of Jesus Christ, another dimension, another aspect of his ministry. He is indeed our Savior, but he's also our creator. Now let that sink in for a moment. The creator is our Savior. Look at verse 16 again. It says, for by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. As you look around in this room, and as you intentionally look around when you go out these doors and you get in your car later on, everything you see owes its beginning to Jesus Christ. Everything was created by him. The sun, the moon, the stars, the birds, the grass, the trees, the air, even the elements that we've already refined and combined to build this building, right? We look around and we see a building. We say, well, God didn't build this. I mean, Scott Murphy Daniel built this, didn't they? Well, no, God made the stuff that made this, right? Everything you see, everything has its beginning in God, but also everything you can't see. You see, he said the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. Every part of creation in the expanse of the universe owes its creation to Jesus. And while this revelation about Jesus may surprise us, it shouldn't. Because this is not the only place that this truth is taught in the Bible. Now, if it was the only place, it would still be true, amen? The Bible only has to say it one time for it to be true. But we see the same teaching right next to one of the most famous passages of Scripture in John 1. John 1, 1 through 4, passage that you're really very familiar with, I'm sure. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, The word here is talking about Jesus. It's a metaphor for Jesus. So we could translate this one a little differently. Not translate it, but but, but apply it this way. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And right there is where we normally stop. Because we normally use this verse to prove the divinity of Jesus. right? We want to show people, and we want to be affirmed in ourselves that Jesus really is God. And that passage right there makes it clear we also use that passage to show that there is some division, not division, but there's, there, there's, um, there, there's some, um, in the Godhead, there's, there's, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's some diversity in the Godhead. But that's usually where we stop, right there. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But if we'll just read a little bit further, we'll see what Colossians 1 is getting at. Verse 2 through 4. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the, and, and the life was the light of men. There it is, church. Everything was made through Jesus, and without him, there would be nothing. He is the giver of life. And that's what makes him the firstborn of all creation, as Paul says it back in Colossians 1, 15. Colossians 1, 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creations. Now, heretics... Like the Jehovah's Witnesses love to take that verse right there and say, See, look, Jesus is, he's not God, he's created by God. He's lesser than God. He's a created being lesser than God. But beloved, the meaning of firstborn here is not chronology, it's about preeminence. Preeminence. You see, firstborn, prototakos in the Greek, here means that Jesus is of the highest position, of the highest rank. There is none higher. He is supreme over creation because, as the context says, he created creation. That's why he's the firstborn. He's preeminent. The highest rank over creation. Jesus created life. Therefore, you should plug into and praise Jesus because he is your complete life support. But second, we see here in the text that Jesus not only created life, but Jesus sustains life. Jesus sustains life. He not only created life, but he actively holds it together in existence. Look at verse 17. And Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, he's the glue in one sense that keeps it all together. And this goes all the way down to the minutest of details in creation. Did you know that the continued existence of an atom baffles physicists? Now, physicists who study this sort of thing, they know a lot of stuff. Man, they are smart dudes. I mean, they're, I mean, they're the brightest of the bright, okay? But when it comes... To the atom, they can tell you what makes up an atom. They can tell you that an atom holds together. They've even learned to split an atom. But they cannot tell you how the atom holds together. You see, it defies logic. It defies logic. Take, Take oxygen, for instance, the oxygen atom. If you were looking at your periodic table of elements, oxygen would be there at number eight. Because it has eight positively charged protons and then eight neutrally charged neutrons. All right, that's positive and neutral. All right, and when it comes to charges, we don't need a science refresher here, but like forces, right, repel one another, right? Think about magnets here, okay? And unlike forces collide, don't they? So if you try to touch a positive side of a magnet, let's say, to a positive side of another magnet, they will push. You cannot bring them together. In fact, you can try, and, and if, it's a very, if it's a weak magnet, you might be able to touch them, 
But then when you let them go, they'll fly apart, okay? And if they're a very strong man, you will not even get close. You can try with all your might, and you will not get close. The forces they're in will not allow them to touch. But if you try to touch a positive side of one magnet to the negative side of the other, they will fly right together, right? They'll come right together, and they will stay together. And if you're strong enough, if, if you're stronger than the force of those magnets, you can pull them apart, but let them go, and they'll come back together. And if they're, again, if they're very strong, you will not get them apart. In fact, some of you, every Sunday, try to separate positive from negative. If you ever try to go out these doors here and the green button's on, <laughs> let me just give you a quick lesson about the doors here, okay? Those are magnet locks on those doors, okay? And if the green button's on, that means they are locked. And you can try with all your might. You can step back here about the cafe and take off running as hard as you can into that door. And you will not open that because the force of that magnet is so strong, okay? So that's just a good demonstration there of the magnet. Remember, push the green button. If you ever push against the door and it won't open, push the green button and it'll let you out, okay? All right? But in the nucleus of an atom... You don't have a positive and a negative. You have a positive with a neutral. A positive with a neutral. And it should not hold together, but it does. What in the world holds the oxygen nucleus together? Why doesn't it fall, fly apart? And, and indeed, why, doesn't, why, why don't all atoms fly apart? Well, Carl K. Darrow, he's a physicist for the Bell Laboratories. He reflected on this marvel one time. He wrote this. He said, you grasp what this implies? It implies that all the massive nuclei have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created. And if created, they should have blown up instantly. Yet here they are. Some inflexible inhibition is holding them relentlessly together. The nature of the inhibition is also a secret. And one thus far reserved by nature itself. That's a poetic way of a scientist saying... We got no clue how it holds together. But it's led secular scientists to speculate that there has to be, there just has to be some undetected subatomic particle that is there holding it all together. And they've mockingly called it the God principle. They are convinced that without this so-called God principle, this God particle, I mean, this God particle that atoms would just fly apart and life would cease to exist. And man, they've spent billions of dollars trying to find this God particle. But beloved, you know what? You and I could have saved them a lot of money if we'd have just taken a few dollars and went down our life way and went to the Bible section and bought them a Bible and said, look at Colossians 1.17. Because right there, we're clearly told that it's not some undetected God particle that's holding it all together. It's God himself. Amen? Amen. It's God himself, specifically Jesus, who is holding it together, sustaining life. He's the Savior. He's the Creator. He's the Sustainer. Life began because of Jesus, and life continues because of Jesus. I'm able to stand before you today and preach because of Jesus. And you're able to sit and listen and amen from time to time, praise God, because of Jesus. Jesus sustains life. Therefore, I call you this morning to plug into and praise Jesus because he is your complete life support. Third, we see here in our text, third, we see in our text that Jesus 
is the Lord of life, that Jesus is Lord of life. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, there are a lot of things that the church is compared through throughout the scripture, a family and all sorts of things, a building. But here, and most usually in the Bible, the church is compared to a body, all right? Jesus is the head of that body. Now, as you think about that for just a moment, what does your head contain? It contains your what? Brain, right? Hopefully, okay? Sometimes we misplace it, but we get it back in there, all right? And what does your brain do? Well, your brain tells your body what to do and where to go. It is the control center of your body. It is the Lord of your body, in other words, okay? And without it, you can do nothing. I can live without many parts of my body. I can live without my arms. I can live without my legs. They could take some of my vital organs and switch them out and trade something out and put mechanical stuff in and all this stuff. But cut off my head, and I will surely die. Beloved, that's why it's so important for you to be connected to Jesus. He is your head. right? He is the Lord of life. There are some of you out here today whom I love very much. You are trying to live life on your own apart from Jesus. But it's not sustainable, right? Death awaits you. You need to be connected to the head, right? The Lord of life, to Jesus Christ, who, as our text points out, has victory over the grave. Look at verse 18 again. It says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He is so life that the grave couldn't hold him, right? I mean, we're coming up on Easter here pretty soon. And we're going to go through all of the story about how Jesus was, was, was betrayed and Jesus was arrested and Jesus was uh, uh, brutalized and then Jesus was crucified and then he died and then he rose uh, uh, again from the dead. We're going to tell the whole story here coming up, okay? But as you well know, they killed him, they put him in the tomb, and when he got good and ready, on the third day, he called the grave a pump. And got up and walked out of the tomb. This is the firstborn from the dead. Glory to God. We have a resurrected Savior who is the Lord of life. So we need to plug into, we need to praise Jesus because he is the complete life support. He is your complete life support. And then finally this morning, Jesus is the Savior of life. He is the Savior of life. Life. We're going to finish out our section here. Colossians 19 through 23. Look at the word again. It says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which, I, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see the situation here that Jesus stepped into. 
It was a dire situation, right? Our sin had alienated us from God, separated us from God. Our natural minds were hostile to God and the things of God. Our natural hearts loved evil things and rejoicing in doing wickedness. And we have justly earned death and hell forevermore. But praise be to God, God had a plan, amen? God had a plan. And that plan was for all the fullness of God to dwell bodily in Jesus Christ, right? All of God was put and somehow, I don't know how the metaphysics of it all, but it was stuffed into that body of Jesus Christ. He was fully God. He was fully man. And then the plan was for Jesus to take that body and then to live that sinless life that you and I cannot live. And we, not only have we not, but we cannot live that sinless life. The gravity of our sin is too much, right? The magnetic pull of our sin is too much. And then his plan was for that body to be offered as a peace offering to God through the blood of the cross. It was terrible. It was awful. The crucifixion is right where we get the word excruciating. Like the pain was terrible. It was ugly. But it was ugly because our sin is ugly. And Jesus joyfully willfully went to that cross because he knew that through that cross that he would reconcile, that he would bring peace between God and every person who would repent and believe on him. And now God, through Jesus Christ, is calling all men, women, boys, and girls to plug into Jesus, right? To hold fast to Jesus, to Cling to Jesus, who is the hope of the gospel. And when a person does that, they're going to be reconciled to God through his life, death, and resurrection. So I'm calling you today. If you have never repented and trusted in Christ for your salvation, today's the day. I'm begging you, turn from your sin and hold fast to Jesus, the Savior of life. I'm begging you. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. Use your mind and the lungs that God has given you and cry out to God to save you, and he'll save you. But if you refuse today, if you're here today and you've not yet trusted Christ and you're hearing this preached and I'm praying the Holy Spirit is internally, outwardly, I'm calling you, but I pray internally, the Holy Spirit is calling you. And if that's you this day and you refuse, you refuse, I want the irony to hit you like a ton of bricks. That you are using the very life that God has given you and is sustaining you in to stand apart from God and to rebel against God. That is an astounding irony. That is amazing arrogance. I love you, but that is amazing arrogance. That you would use the breath that God is giving you to breathe at this very moment to say no to God. 
So I beg you this morning, surrender and plug into Jesus today and be saved. But if you're already saved, if you're already saved, beloved, you have reason to rejoice. Did you see what it said here? Did you see what it said here in verse 22? He's now reconciled you. If you're in Christ, it's not that you will be reconciled. You are already reconciled. We'll see in chapter 3 that your life is hid with Jesus on high. It says here, it continues on. It says he's done all this. He's reconciled you in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Praise God, that sounds good to anybody. Right? That's what he's done in you. There is reason to rejoice if you are already saved. And so I pray that today's message, if you're already saved, would help you turn your praise of Jesus up to 11. You know what I'm talking about? And rip the knob off. Church, there is so much reason to praise Jesus. He is the reason we gather together on this day. It's the Lord's day because of Jesus. So plug into and praise Jesus because he is your complete life support. Here's my final prayer. May we rejoice in Jesus, our giver of life. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. 
Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.